0: Hey, good people, it's your host Akil Cole, and you're listening to Community Blooms. Community Blooms brings you refreshing, inspiring, and hopeful stories from real people in different communities working to protect the environment. Educate those around them, and improve the health of their communities. Community Blooms is a podcast by the Community Ecology Institute, or CEI, a nonprofit organization based in Columbia, Maryland. The mission of CEI is cultivating communities where people and nature thrive together. On today's episode, I speak with Erica Jones and Eduardo Marin from the CEI about their experiences in environmental work and connecting with nature. Erica Jones is a Howard County native, chef, and master gardener. She also serves on the board of directors for CEI. Her charge is to be an educator on how to sustain life through growing and preparing healthy, nourishing, local, and delicious food. Eduardo is one of our high school interns over at the CEI who began interning last fall in 2020. Just as a heads up, this episode was recorded in March, Women's History Month. So part of our discussion involved a reflection on the impact of women in our guests' lives and involvement in the environmental space. We hope you enjoy the episode. Hey everyone. It is my pleasure to introduce two members from the Community Ecology Institute, Erica Jones and Eduardo Marin. Thanks for joining.
1: Thanks, happy to be here.
0: Thank you for having us. So, given the fact that you two are both working in the same organization and just generally in the same field, I want to get a feel for how both of you got involved in environmental work. So, Eduardo, I want to start with you. How did you get started with um, this type of work?
2: Um, I guess it all started with like my passions, like me going to the park with my friend, building forts and stuff like that. But the actual spark of it was actually in D.C when I attended in the Anacostia River cleanups there. And that was really fun for me because like you get to see like actual direct change using your own hands. So that went for me doing that to going to uh, their little program of water monitoring. And then after that, I started going more into um, political activism in that sense of like Sunrise and Our County, which is a youth flood group fighting for the Green New Deal and bills of that nature. And how I actually got into the Community Ecology Institute was through a group called Leadership U, which is for available for um, Howard County students typically. And it's um, for your junior year. And basically we worked at a service project with a partnered organization. And that one was with the Community Ecology Institute. And that's how I got introduced. So you had a long history, man. That's, that's amazing. As someone who's
0: just really now getting into like the environmental field, knowing that there's people my age and like around my age, getting involved is really, well, obviously inspiring, but also just instructive. Cause like, just hearing about like how you got to have hands-on experience, making like visible physical change is really good. So thanks. Um, How about you Erica, how did you get involved with your environmental work?
1: Well, um, well, I, I'd have to start back when I, I have a culinary background and you know, after finishing that up, I realized that I really wanted to have the freshest food available to myself. And so I started diving into growing food and that just built over time into just a love and passion for being out in nature and really seeing how a plant that that starts from just a little seed, like some, some seeds are just as small as like a pin needle. And that seed becomes a huge plant. And just the abundance that the plant gives you and the food that you're able to provide for yourself. There is so much variety out there. And we often are limited to just what's in the grocery store. So it closes our mind into in you know into a small box of flavors and textures um, and colors and So I just really felt like, all right, I want to do this for the rest of my life. And um, I just a little over a year and a half ago, met Kiara and I had toured the farm. I've lived in Howard County most of my life. I moved away in my twenties for a short bit, but I never knew that this farm was where it is in Columbia. And it blew my mind to know that there was a space here available that we could really transform into a place where folks could come and get those hands-on experiences specifically uh, on how to grow food. A lot of folks that I come across often say "Um, I don't have a green thumb. I kill everything that I try to plant and you know it breaks my heart because yeah most of us may feel that way if we've never done it before but It really just takes an opportunity to learn how. And once you know how, you know, the sky is really the limit. And there is nothing like going outside your back door and picking blueberries from bushes that you planted into the ground or tomatoes from the vine or lettuces. I mean, the the quality of the food, when you grow it yourself, it's bar none. It cannot be compared to anything at a grocery store because that food, has traveled often thousands of miles to get to the shelf. And that's, you know, seven to two weeks from the point it was picked. So, you know, once you pick a a crop, it slowly starts to kind of die off in its nutrient availability, its taste and its textures. So, I mean, I I think for the rest of my life will be shouting from the rooftops to grow your own food. You can start small and build from there, but everyone must have the opportunity to get a chance to see what it's really like when you pick it with your own hands and and just how incredible the feeling is, taste is, and it opens you up to really being able to understand nature in a bigger picture and how it all connects to why our environment is fleeting in its, its health. So, I'm just really excited to be able to have an opportunity to do that. And, you know, you start small, you start in your local area and you build from there. But I think that Freetown farm is going, well, we already are pretty incredible if I have to do my own, but it's the beginning of a new way of being and living and thriving.
0: I feel about ready to just hop onto my backyard and just start (laughs) growing food right now.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Because you said you're in Florida, right? Like you've got good weather. So, oh my gosh, yes.
0: I That is something I'm always so grateful for. Um, It's been one of the silver linings of the pandemic. Like as I see a lot of people up north um, and elsewhere just dealing with the the elements. I'm like, it's kind of like 75 degrees (laughs) always. Bad days when it's really hot. That's, you know, I mean, yeah, your energy is palpable in, in your explanation of how important it is for us to tap into real fresh food and the growing and the experience, and that's one thing that's really stuck out to me about Freetown Farm and CEI. Like when I remember when um, Dr. Diamore was presenting to my class, I'm like, I want to like I want to just transport myself up to Columbia so I can you know grow some food and make it myself and then bring it back home and be like family. We need to do this because we're not doing it right. And it makes me, it reminds me of my grandma because she's from Jamaica and she has a little little bit of a garden in her backyard and she grows some like seasoning. She has like thyme and some other things Um, and she's got like the green thumb of our family. So I definitely resonate with the pursuit of homegrown food um, among other things because that's not just what it is. It's so much more, but I definitely resonate with that. So to follow up with that, this one, I'll go back to um, Eduardo can you remember an important moment during which your interest or your passion for nature was inspired? Like, is there like maybe a single moment or maybe like a single event that you can remember?
2: Um, I guess it was a culmination of stuff really, but like one of them was when I was growing up in Hyattsville, Maryland, which is uh, in PG County, a little off, it's more urban. Um, my mom would always take me to the park every Friday. So that really got me passionate in like finding different animals, looking at the stream, Hearing wildlife that really got brought my passion to help protect the earth. And that also happened when I moved here to Columbia, Maryland and Affleton Park where me and my friend um, were just hanging out. We were building the fort, as he said, we were just playing games. We were trying to do fishing, fishing by using a um, weird string and like at the end of it using like a bottle cap thing. So it was really scuffed, but it was really fun. So like those moments really are very impactful for me.
0: Nice. How about you, Erica?
1: Goodness, well, a couple memories stand out to me. One of them being, I um, must have been five, and there is a farm that wasn't too far from our house that grew strawberries, and you could go and pick your own strawberries. And my neighbor had come over and they were like, oh, would you like us to take Erica to go pick strawberries with us? And I, like, I didn't even know you could do that. I mean, <laughs> that just wasn't anything I was ever exposed to up, up to that point as a five-year-old, like, wait, I can go pick strawberries. So I, I remember the road like vividly in my mind driving down this one lane road at the time and getting to the farm and they said, oh, you know, all the strawberries are gone. And I remember feeling so deflated and like I was so excited because Strawberry Shortcake was like my most favorite doll back in the eighties. And so it was kind of like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna see strawberry shortcake among the strawberries. (laughs) That was so disappointing. but I just remember feeling like, wow, like you could actually go and pick strawberries. And that just, it kind of planted a seed in me. And then another memory, um, I probably was a little bit older at the time, but back in like the eighties, lemon juice kind of came in like a plastic bottle that was yellow it was like a fake plastic lemon it had disgusting like it didn't even taste like lemon juice now that lemon juice actually tastes like but I remember asking my mother like oh can we get real lemons and she was like oh you don't need real lemons just use this (laughs) and I felt like well, wait a minute, why am I not good enough for a real lemon? Like if real lemons exist, why are we taking this stuff out of a bottle? So that was another moment where I just kind of felt like something is not right about this picture. And, you know, that just kind of sparked my thrill for real food. And then ultimately inspired me to go and get a culinary education. So, yeah, that's kind of how it all started. (laughs)
0: Wow. Early childhood memories with family are definitely impactful. (laughs) I can, I can, I can just imagine like, like young Erica just going, why can't I have real lemons? (laughs) (laughs) just, why not? Am I, you know,
2: that's
1: right. Yeah. And like, I will, you know, now when I'm over a a friend's house and they pull out a jar of garlic that's been pre-chopped and put in oil and I just, I'm always telling them fresh garlic, get the bulb and crack the skin and dice it yourself. The flavor is completely different than that nasty stuff out of the jar. So it's really starting to change the view on what real food is. I know it might be convenient to scoop it out of a jar, but you're not getting the nutrients. You're not getting the proper flavor. And so, you know, I, I'm just on a mission to, to really educate folks on the difference between the two.
0: Yeah, it's a it's an important mission, and it's a mission that I I know a lot of people, especially people listening, will definitely resonate with. On the note of you know, influencing, like your friends, your family, your community, in what ways do you two, like outside of your work in the CEI, like impact family members?
1: Well, with, you know, being a chef, I think it opens up the conversation in my network of, oh, so, you know, I don't know how to make this. And then being able to educate folks you know, at, at the counter, um, you know, having them dice the onion or the piece of celery and give them the, the background on, on the vegetable or fruit. It, I guess it's just, for me, an opportunity to just share as much as I know, and you know, there, you're always learning. There's so much to know in this world about plants and the life cycle, and you know how it goes from a plant to an amazing vegetable that you can eat, and then the feeling of what that tastes like after you've taken it in. And um, yeah, I'm always just trying to teach folks how to eat real food.
2: And enjoy it at the same time and not fear it It's the whole journey how about you Eduardo um I guess speaking on that I guess like I help with my mom like talking to her about like what can you really recycle and what you can't because like there's some weird stuff like you can't really recycle just like um you can recycle your water bottle right but you can't recycle your water bottle cap because it will fall through so there's like those little inconsistencies that I'd be like that I'm like trying to tell her and trying to educate on another thing is that like um, something that we do in our, at least in our family is like, we try to reuse at least kind of, kind of for profit, but kind of, cause it's also good for the environment we're using overnight. So for instance, um, my dad, he works in construction. So something that we do is, um, he brings home these wires, copper wires back home because he gets them from his job because people would like just throw them away. So instead we take them in. So basically we have this wire cutter that we use to in, instead, um, to cut up the wire and basically to just, separate the copper and the plastics. Nice. So basically we get like extra income because of like you know we can sell copper, but also we're helping in that way to reduce some construction waste. So yeah, that's something that we do.
0: I didn't even I didn't even know something like that was
2: <laughs>
0: do that. <That's> so cool. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really neat. Wow. I'm just taking a second just to take that in. If you can tell by my reaction to by taking in the copper wires and um reusing them I have no experience with that but i do resonate with like telling family members hey you can't recycle this hey you can't recycle that and i think miami-dade county where i live has a pretty decent recycling service but they've been uh, very aggressive this this past like this new year in like educating the public like hey um we do not accept plastic bags like don't put plastic bags in the recycling thing and then i'll like i'll tell my stepdad i'm like darvin why is this in here (laughs) like we talked about this but yeah it's it's a constant thing and like I think it's really important when we're talking about community impact to start with like at home obviously people outside of your home like you want to make sure that you're broadening your impact but starting with your parents your your kids your whoever's in your household is a really important step Um, and that's something that I want to encourage the listeners to do so speaking of steps I want to go back to you, Eduardo. So as a high school intern, can you tell me a little bit about one of your favorite developments or maybe projects that you've been working on at the CEI?
2: Um, there are a lot, honestly, Like, I can't keep track. Um, so a cool project that I did with my Leadership U Group was uh, create this berm, which is basically like this lasagna of nutrients that is able to like help produce. Uh, it's able to help the trees grow. And that was for the 100 trees on the property uh but another project that i've been um uh, that i'm really enjoying is the climate of hope project which is basically um where we're going to try to build install um, what was it uh, climate victory gardens all throughout howard county uh and basically what climate victory gardens are are they um they have native plants that are uh, that sequester carbon and moreover they also provide produce so the cool thing about them is that they were used i'm pretty sure in world war one and world or World War Two, I can't remember exactly, and uh, they were very like they were very widely used. Uh, they kind of died out, but we kind of want to bring that back together. And I'm pretty sure we're certified for like uh, we're the second organization certified to like know how to like make them. And the cool thing is that this will be one of our biggest, uh, one of our main businesses at the CEI. So that's a really cool project that I'm enjoying working on.
0: Wow, I remember seeing one of the YouTube videos for the CEI. By the way, listeners, check out uh, Community Ecology Institute on YouTube. I'll, I'll link them in the show notes. Um, and I believe, Erica, you, in that video, you were explaining the history of the Climate Victory Gardens. And- yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I do some of the educational classes that we offer the program for, for that. And um, it's kind of a buzzword, like Climate Victory. And yes, it is about climate. But like Eduardo was saying, it really started from the war effort back in World War One and Two, and how the whole country basically banded together and started growing food to help with, the, to offset the fact that there was a shortage because of the war. So people, if they wanted an abundance of food, they had to grow it. And it was a huge campaign for the government to teach people how to grow food. Um, and it was very, very successful. I think the numbers were like 40 to 50% of the country was we're, we're doing it at that point point. Wow. and so now um green america who kind of brought it back around the concept around put a spin on it and said okay well we're not in war but we we are in a war with our environment and our climate and how we can be a part of the solution is to grow food grow deep-rooted native perennials that sequester carbon. And that's the fight. The more carbon we can get out of the atmosphere, the healthier we are as a nation. And so um, that's where it started. But yeah, it's it's not a complicated, there, there's 10 basic principles on you know, what would make a climate victory garden a climate victory garden. And they're all relatively easy and you can build on them over time. And the whole point is to start where you are, whatever you have available to you. If it's just a small backyard, just grow, you know, grow some wonderful native plants and you know, support the bees and grow some food. And it's a win-win. It's just gonna be a domino effect of the impact that it'll have on our community and then beyond. So we're really, really excited.
0: That's exactly right. I think one of the biggest takeaways that I'm getting from this conversation is just like, as daunting as something like climate change can seem, and in many ways it is, like, there are so many opportunities within our own homes and just outside of our homes to impact things. And not just impact things outside of ourselves, but even like with growing our own food, impacting our own bodies and giving ourselves right. tasty experiences or, you know, having good experiences with our family or friends going out, trying to make fishing um, out of, you know, makeshift materials. Like, interacting with nature doesn't have to be through some, uh, like a lot of people think, it doesn't need to be this national campaign, which we do need, but a national campaign where we're, like, mobilizing everything and you have to, it doesn't necessarily have to be that. And I think both of your contributions and in your lives really demonstrate that. So I appreciate that. So it is no surprise that we're in a pandemic. And I want to shift gears a little bit to talk about some of the challenges um, you two have faced working in within these conditions. So Erica, how has COVID-19 in the past year shaped um, your interactions with your environmental work?
1: Well, I would say that it it really heightens the visibility of food shortages. To see the breakdown of our food system at the height of, you know, when, when everything started, you know, between last March and May, like, you know, nothing on the shelves. And seeing that like, okay, wait, why is this happening? Why isn't there like some like surplus availability of food like coming in and then really looking at, okay, well, wait, I'm not, my I personally am not necessarily impacted because I grow my food. I'm not flipping out as others are that are in the situation and really seeing that, okay, if people knew how to grow their food, it would not have been, as much of a blow or at least as much as an immediate blow because, you know, we are relying on grocery stores and that just, it was just so shocking to see how quickly everything broke down and how there was no availability for anything, I mean bread. And then because there was no bread, there was a shortage in flour. And then because you couldn't get flour, you know, like people are trying to call up bakeries, looking for flour just to make bread. And gosh, it was like, oh my gosh, this is out of this world. So, you know, we immediately, thank goodness that it was the beginning of the growing season when it all kind of you know blew up. And we as Freetown Farm were able to just, we were just planting and growing as much as we possibly could so that we could help to alleviate the shortages that we were seeing. So, I mean, it, it really broke my heart to see how quickly our system, our food system could break down. And, you know, really now looking back on it, really hoping that that was a wake up call to all of us to see how much we rely on a system that's broken. And, you know, I like to say, we can be at the front of that system and not behind it. Um, and if folks that may not have the availability of space to grow food, although, you know, there's a lot of ways to creative ways to get food growing, not just in the ground, but you know, for those who just don't have that, that access, that's when you turn to your local farmers. That's why farmers do what they do. So, I'm really happy to have been a part of an organization that stepped up.
0: Perfectly said, but I just remember, like, the desperation that came about when it just came to something as basic and take it for granted as food, you know, because you know, despite despite the differences in quality between you know like grocery food and like, like like personally grown food, like just the convenience that people took for granted. And then when it just was completely shut down, that desperation really stuck with me as well, thinking there shouldn't be people struggling to have the most basic thing they need, which is food. But here we were. And besides the fact that you know we had different indications that something like this was coming, we were so woefully unprepared. So yeah, I, I definitely think that uh, some transitioning on on a community level to more personally grown food would benefit a lot of people, if not everyone. How about you, Eduardo? How how did the pandemic impact you in your work?
2: Um, personally, um, the pandemic was the silver lining of it was that it got more people involved with nature because people are very cooped up inside. And if they want to go out but still stay socially distanced, being outside is one of the best ways. So I've seen a lot of people like um, getting more committed to nature and even gardening because I remember when uh, Erica was leading one of the, um I'm trying to remember the climate victory garden class. There was someone there who was literally talking about how he was doing all these new hobbies and one of them was gardening and how that was very impactful for him just because he saw like a little seed sprout into a, um, a full grown plant. So I think that's a silver lining because of um, how nature has been very therapeutic in many ways. For instance, if I'm stressed by school, I just go out on a walk. I mean, just a little bit, just around my house, but it makes me feel really good inside. It makes me feel like it's calmness. And I think that's one thing that's like the silver lining of the pandemic is that I've been able to spend more time outside, especially with like the shorter classes and how it's virtual. So yeah.
0: Nice. I definitely agree. I, the, the power of the walk has really expanded in my mind because my first semester there wasn't as a, as a college freshman you go from like you know everyone and like you're you know quote unquote all that at high school and then you're just like nobody i've been to dc once on a college tour so i didn't know anyone and like all that stress compounded and i just walked outside and i was like oh trees nice exactly. <laughs> oh water <laughs> flowing water things that we take for granted um but when we're forced to, we, we will adapt. And that's, I think one of, if not our best, it's one of our best strengths as a, as a species. So we're recording this on the third day of Women's History Month, and this is a bit of a, a abrupt transition, but Edward, I want to start with you. So how have women um, in your life or in the environmental field impacted you and your work and your passions?
2: Um, I guess we could start when I was very little like I guess like in second to first grade um I had a teacher called miss she was um miss Antonelli and uh, she was very impactful because like I remember there were certain months or certain days where she gave me environmental books and books on wildlife and got me really passionate about it and she even allowed me to like participate in like a science fair and I was talking about tsunamis and their impact in the world. And that was after I'm pretty sure one of the biggest natural just disasters in Japan. So that's what influenced me there. And she really uh, sparked that interest in nature. And then my mom also did too, especially because she's, she likes going on hikes. She likes going on walks. So she always, uh she also, when she was growing up in El Salvador, she had this farm and she connected to nature that way. She had like pigs, goats, everything you can name. and. Uh, Her influence on me was really great, especially her coming from that background. So she took me, as I said before, to the parks. Uh, We had picnics and it was really fun. And I guess nowadays, especially Kiara and Eric are very big inspirations. Also Genevieve from EcoWorks, which is another company or not company, organized nonprofit in Howard County. And it's just because of their very, like, they're very determined and they really show a lot of passion in this field. And it really makes me, like, sparked up about um, the environment. And, like, she, they really are, like, they show you all the change they can do in, like, such a little time. And, like, their smiles are always nice, too.
1: Oh, God, make me bless.
2: <laughs> Eric, same question. How have the women in your life
0: um, impacted your life and professionally um, and in your community work? How have they impacted you?
1: Um, well, I gotta say, um, you know, before I had found out about Freetown Farm, I was just, uh, you know, I'm kind of in my own world, doing my thing, growing food and really building a dream of, I want to farm for myself and I want a place where I can grow as much food as I can and teach people how to do it for themselves and, you know, be a local source because I'm a huge cheerleader for local food. And when I met Kiara and she had already acquired the farm, you know, she'd gone through this huge campaign locally, locally to raise enough money to buy the farm from the farmer who had owned it previously. And you know, to get connected with her, see what she was doing, it just felt like you know, plugged into a socket, like a, a direct instant connection. And um, she's so incredibly, knowledgeable and, you know, she had a dream for herself to connect people through nature and for us to be able to come together and really help to build this space that we call Freetown Farm. You know, I, I often attribute, like I, I didn't know this was where my path would lead, but I'm so happy that it's where I have ended up at this point and the work that we are planning to do moving forward together and with everyone else. um, in the organization, like it's really a dream come true, and to see her fire and uh, her drive to keep moving people forward. Columbia is a, a kind of a small town, or it was at least back in the nineties. We've, we've expanded a lot since then, but I never knew her growing up, and uh, you know we you know lived in the same community. But to know that there was somebody with a dream. And it was just a matter of time for that change to flourish. And now to
0: work together and be
1: able to do it is pretty, it's a pretty great feeling.
0: Yeah, I, I share a similar sort of respect for the vision and work and commitment that Kiara has shown. It's not the only reason that I was like, I gotta get involved, but like just seeing the work and the vision of Freetown Farm and the Community Ecology Institute, I'm like, more people need to be exposed to this as as much people as possible visions like this individuals like this that with their knowledge and experience can really bring a lot of people together it speaks volumes about her character
1: yeah for sure and you know as i got to say every time a new visitor comes and gets involved it's it's like a feeling of each one each one they come you see them fall in love and then you see them get inspired by, you know, one of the projects that's going on on the property and then they go home and they tell their friends and their family, And then they come back with their family. And, you know, that's how community organizing and work is. Like you just keep building the networks. And then, you know, I think that's why we've been able to do so much in a short amount of time.
0: Well said. That's a perfect segue for my second to last question. So I know that Freetown Farm is working on a lot of projects. So are there any any future projects, maybe something that's in the planning stages right now um, that either of you would like to share with the listeners?
2: Um, there's a really cool one that's going to happen in the, um, I'm trying to remember, in the like the space up front, the Climate of Hope space that Erica runs. It's the, um, they're going to add uh, agrivoltaics, which is uh, basically solar panels in it. And it's going to be the solar panels that are going to cover shaded crops. So that is really cool because like it's a new it's not necessarily newly invented, but it's becoming gone more traction, especially in the um, agricultural sector. And that is because uh, you basically use both agrivoltaic photovoltaic panels and agriculture in the same space. So the reason why that's important is because um a huge problem with at least right now, for a photovoltaic panel, to just solar panels and solar panels in general, is that they take up a lot of space, like they take up a huge amount of space in in the environment, and also they're not really, really good because of um, habitat destruction, deforestation, and that is why there's many, the government, at least in certain places, they ban it because of how it's not really good for the uh, environment. In that sense, I mean, you do get renewable energy, but there's a trade-off back, which is huge amount of space is being I guess used up that could be for animals plants and all that so a cool thing with this is that it's already using pre-existing space for instance uh, your crops and adding uh, photovoltaic panels on top of it and the reason why that's extremely important is because like they have like this symbiotic relationship which is um because of how uh, solar panels can heat up over time especially a lot. The plants underneath, I'm trying to remember, uh, they release water vapors, which allowed to, to cool the uh, solar panels. <laughs> but another thing is that the solar panels protect the uh, plants because they protect them from uh, sunburn or like from frost as well. And because of this relationship, it like they work well with each other. And something else is that especially because of climate change, commodity prices and all of that, farmers are needing need to turn into more uh, like safer options for income. So having both solar panels and crops provide dual income and you get 160% more resources. And that's something that like we're going to do in a small scale at the farm. And that's something really exciting. That is incredible.
0: Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, so cool. That is so cool. I, in my in my forest people and climate change class it's like a, it's a half semester course I'm taking right now. Um, we were just talking about like a lot of the trade-offs that come with renewable energy sources and to hear that like somewhere not too far from my school not super close but not too far from my school working on something that offsets some of those trade-offs and works with nature rather than against it and works with human beings oh what's that is that's so cool. thank you for highlighting that erica are there any projects that you're particularly looking forward to uh for the future
1: yeah so um we have a plot on the property that we have slated to become a demonstration site on how to grow food in your front yard or in your backyard in a aesthetic way. Um, In Colombia, there are a lot of rules about how you can set your landscape up in, in the front of your house specifically. And that often Limits people who might have just a front yard where most of their sun is. It limits what you know what they can grow, and so we are going to partner with uh, the. I'm also a master gardener, so my master gardener program has our organization has a program called Grow It Eat It, and we basically teach folks how to grow your own food. So partnering with them, we are going to have educational opportunities on site on the property. We're going to build a kind of brick front kind of facade of like what the front of a house would look like or what the back of a house would look like. And then what you could do with that front yard space, what you could do with the backyard space. Um, If you're limited in space, how you could grow food vertically and containers, just different ways of showing how you can get food grown um, in the space that you have. And I'm really excited to be able to um, design that and show folks all the incredible opportunities and ways that it can be done. It's really, I think it's going to be um, a real showstopper on the property because that's what folks want. They're like, okay, yeah, I want to do it, but I don't like how, like, how do I start from you know nothing to this, all this abundance? And so that's where we're going to come in, bridge that gap and inspire folks. So I'm really super excited to get that going this year.
0: I'm excited to see where that goes. I'm thinking about how, like, in my own front yard, I'm just like, I don't like the fact that it's just grass. I, I feel like this could be used for, like, food. <laughs> um,
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, wow, that's fascinating. Well, we're reaching the end of this episode. So one thing that we're, we want to establish with, this podcast is leaving our listeners with one practical tip from each of our guests on how they can get involved with their community and or with nature. So Eduardo, we'll start with you. Do you have one one or maybe a couple practical tips for our listeners for how they can get involved?
2: Um, Something they can do to get involved is... Um... Literally just go outside, like go, go near to your park. And if you want, you could um, clean it up a little bit. That's something we did today at the farm because um, we some of our internships are in person some days. So today all of us, all of the interns, we went and we went down the street and we just cleaned up. And it's amazing and kind of sad how much trash you can find outside. So that's one tip that I'd give. And if you want to find opportunities, I guess just like look at local, like talk to or get in contact with your local farms. And see how you can do to help or volunteer. So, so, yeah. Nice, nice.
1: Um, I think I would say, um, you know, I'm always coming from the standpoint of grow your food, grow your food. And one of the easiest things to start with is herbs. They play an incredible role in flavoring your food. And especially for those who have, you know, maybe um, salt intake. Um, issues where they, they really need to limit the amount of salt that they consume. Herbs can really come in and save the day and offer amazing flavor without having to use salt. So I would say, you now think about an herb that you really enjoy, whether it be parsley. I mean, I'll shout from the rooftop, so amazing. Uh, parsley is, um, but, you know, think about basil, thyme, chives, any, I mean, they're all amazing and they take such little space and time, they you know they're they're the most easiest crop to grow. And I often you know folks that are beginners, I'll say just grow just grow a pot of herbs, and then you'll see your whole world open up in front of you.
0: Amazing. Where where might somebody get be able to purchase some some seeds for some of these herbs?
1: There's a gazillion um, seed companies online, but you can also just go to. Um, often you'll find seeds, uh, packets in your grocery store during this, during the season. So like around this time in March, you can find them in the grocery store, Target, Walmart, any of your Home Depot, they'll all have a set, a little display of seeds and, um, you just go grab a pack. And that's another thing to note, like herbs. I mean, you go into the grocery store and spend $3.99 on a bunch of basil. A pack of basil seeds is like a yeah. dollar and there's a hundred seeds in the pack and one seed equals one plant. So just the cost savings alone would be a reason to, to grow your own herbs
0: for sure. I think with all the seasonings in my cabinet, if I replaced those with like seed, I'd probably be able to create a grant for another return <laughs> <you don't> <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's true it is true i mean it's it's ridiculous what we pay for convenience when we just need us to have a little bit of um, patience and a little bit of knowledge on how to do it and the abundance is just it's unreal
0: thanks so much for listening to today's episode i really hope you enjoyed it Don't forget to check out the show notes for more information on Green America, the Grow It Eat It program, and places you can purchase seeds to start your own herb garden. If you are part of a community whose environmental work you'd like featured on our podcast, send us a message at communityecologyinstitute.org. Also, give us a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Community Ecology Institute. I promise we'd love to hear from you. You can subscribe to Community Blooms on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or really anywhere else where you get your podcasts. So, until next time, use your point of view, do what you can do, and strive to make sure your community blooms. Peace.